But I'm just going to preach on this thought, very simple. Unity in church life. Just unity in the church, in our church life. That's, what, that's the life that we do together here at Walters Grove Baptist Church. And we definitely, there's, it's good to have unity in your home life. Somebody say amen. It's good to have unity at, at the job and your career life and job. That's good. That always makes it a lot better if you can't have that. But uh, it ought to be above any other place. Uh, it ought to be some unity in church life because everybody that's a part of the true church, real church, uh, is saved by the grace of God. And we have something common inside of all of us. And Paul is emphasizing unity in our text. And you'll have to listen real close and do your very, you have to work at listening this morning because I may not be able to shout and holler and scream about it. It may just talk to you just like this. I don't want to put you to sleep. But I do, and, and this is just a Bible message, just simple Bible exposition. So you work at listening, and, uh, and I'll do my best not to drag this out and kill everybody, all right? Somebody say, if you're going to kill me, don't drag me to death, amen. So we'll try not to drag it out and see if we can't just, but we want to pull some truths out of this text, glorious truths that will strengthen our church. We may not, you know, shout and, and uh, swing from the chandeliers, but man, I tell you what, I tell you what uh, unity in the church will do. It'll keep us shouting down the road, amen. Because when there's discord and disunity, I tell you what you'll find in church, you'll find a lot of crying, won't you? I don't want a lot of crying. We want a lot of rejoicing together when we cry over the right things, but you understand what I'm saying. We want unity in the church, and God wants us to have it. And let's look at what the Bible says about it, okay? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you. Lord, I pray you'd help me and touch me. Lord, you know the, uh, my limitations this morning. And, uh, but, Lord, I know you put this message on my heart. You told me to preach it this morning. And so I, I, I want to be obedient to you. God, please help me. Strengthen me. Lord, I pray that you would supernaturally, Lord, captivate the attention. Lord, of everybody in this building this morning with the Word of God. Not my personality. Lord, not my... Uh, not my any kind of cleverness or wisdom or, 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 or excitement or anything. Lord, I pray it would be the Word of God that would captivate us. And Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would do the work. And Lord, I'm leaning on you to, to help us this morning. Please do what needs to be done. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, let's just jump right into verse number 1. If you go back to verse number 1, he said, If there be therefore... And I want you to notice that word, therefore, because when you see the word, therefore, what do you Bible students know what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to go back and see what it is, therefore. That's right. You don't start a conversation with the word, therefore. Therefore is giving additional information or application in light of what I've already been telling you about. If I were just to walk up to you and say, therefore, and then start talking, you would look at me like, did I miss something or, uh, or, or something? You know, did I miss something in this conversation? You don't start that with a conversation. You don't start the conversation with the therefore. It's the continuance of a conversation. And so we'd have to go back up into chapter 1, right, and figure out what... Uh, Paul is speaking about. Last week, we looked at the church being a source of good news and uh, living a life that is consistent with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in verse 27 of chapter 1, uh, conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And then he said at the end of that verse, he said that you stand fast in one spirit, 
with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He emphasizes unity. And I pointed out last week that one of the ways the church can become a source of bad news is by being in discord. When we are disconnected in our fellowship is the way we put it in the outline last week. And when a church is in disharmony and discord, uh, it's a bad testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember what Jesus said? He said, how all men will know that we're His disciples. He said, how is it? By the love that we have one for another. He didn't say all men will know by the, you're my disciples by the way you dress, and I believe in dressing right. He didn't say all men will know my, you're my disciples by the way you talk, and I believe in talking right. He said all men will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another because that's something this world doesn't know. That's something this world doesn't have. They do not have this kind of godly love that will treat somebody better than what they deserve, will love somebody even when you're not loved back, that will forgive somebody uh, even when, uh, even when uh, they're not truly sorry for what they've done, yet you will have uh, no bitterness or animosity in your heart. I guess we could put it that way. That kind of godly love that loves the sinner and, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and uh, forgives him and, and does not hold grudges against him. That kind of love. That's the kind of love that ought to be in the church. That's the kind of love that God has for us and toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we ought to thank God for that kind of love. One of the marks of gospel living in the church is unity. It is when we are in unity one with another. It is unity that is demanded of the church. It is expected of the church. Uh, it is expected for us to be together, one mind, one spirit, he said in uh, chapter 1, verse 27, striving together, not fighting against each other, but fighting with one another, side by side, standing together, fighting together. And... Uh, just because we're together, just because we are joined together here in this place, that does not mean that we are in unity. Y'all know that's true, right? I've said it before, and I've, I can't remember where I got this from, but you can take two cats and tie them by the tail and throw them over a, uh, throw them over a fence post, uh, and uh, they're, uh, they are, uh, they're together, but they're definitely not in unity. I promise you that. And I tell you what, some people, you're members of the same church, but that doesn't mean you're in unity one with another. That doesn't mean there's a unity that is going on. There can be division and strife and envy and all these things that Paul talks about here in this text. And he's elaborating. Look at verse number 2, if you will. But Garrett, throw verse number 2 up here on the, on the screen there. I want you to look at this verse real close because here's the command. Everything kind of focuses and revolves around verse number 2 here. He said that he wants us to be like-minded. Did you see that? He said, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded. That means thinking the same things. When it comes to the truth of the gospel and doctrine and things like that, we ought to be on the same page. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to think the same thing about everything. That doesn't mean we're a bunch of robots always thinking the same thing because we're not. In fact, I, be, I bet even right now we're not all thinking the same thing. Amen. I'm thinking about this message. Some of y'all are thinking about lunch. Some of y'all are thinking about tomorrow. Some of y'all are thinking about what it'd be like to be sitting on a beach somewhere, you know, and some... Uh, uh, in some island somewhere in the, you know, in the Caribbean or whatever. But if you just come back to Walter's Grove, come back to see it just for a second, all right? Just come back on in. 
But it's talking more about thinking the same thing as, as far as when it comes to a body of truth, the doc, right, the gospel. That's what we're unified around. In fact, unity is not you getting on the same page with me or me even getting on the same page with you, but it's all of us together believing what is right, rallying around the body of truth, the faith that was once delivered to the saints. I tell you, when it comes to the Bible, we, we got to think the same thing. Amen. When it comes to the gospel, we got to think the same thing. When it comes to what is truth, we got to think the same things. How can two walk together except they be agreed? We got to agree together. We're not going to, I'm not talking about little petty stuff. I'm talking about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's got to be the same mindset. There's got to be a same love. That's what he said in verse number two as well. This is what unity is. Like-mindedness. Same love. That's loving the same things and the same people in the context again of truth and the gospel. There ought to be a common love amongst us. How many of you know when you get saved he puts a love down inside of you. We know, you've, we know we've passed from death into life. How? Because we love the brethren, there is a dynamic love that he has placed on the inside of us. And there should be a common love amongst us. Listen, I don't mean you're going to like everybody all the time, but you will love the brethren. That's why people say they've been saved, but they don't love the brethren. That's actually against the word of God. Did you know that? You can't, you can't know, you can't have any assurance of your salvation at all if you literally hate somebody that has been born of God. John put it like this. How can you love your brother whom you have or love God whom you've not seen if you don't love your brother who you have seen. You can't, it's just impossible. It's incompatible. It doesn't work out. There is a love that's in your heart. If you love the one that begot you, you're going to love all the ones that have been begotten of him. Uh, John tells us in 1 John I mean, it's chapters 4 and 5, he deals with all these things. There's going to be a love inside. It's not something you got to work up. It's not something you got to try to fake. Fake it till you make it. No, it's in there. He put it in there when you got saved. He put it in there. That love, same love. Then he said of one accord and one mind. Those things, literally all these things are really talking about one thing. It's unity. Definitions are the same. That word accord, Webster's 1820 dictionary just said it's harmony of minds. It's an agreement. That's what it is. It's one mind, one accord, being together. And all these things in verse number two, this is the command of unity. They all reinforce that one truth of unity in the church. We ought to have the same mission. We're on the same, on the same mission. We have the same mindset. We ought to have the same motives, and we're all together in this thing. And then even later on in chapter number 2, Paul uses Timothy as an example of somebody that is like-minded. He talks about verse 19 and 20 of our chapter in chapter 2. He said, I'm going to send Timothy to you shortly. Uh, where are we at? Verse 19. But I trust in the Lord to uh, Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that uh, I also may be of good comfort when I know of your state, your state. And look what he said about Timothy. Paul's preacher boy. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. He said... He said, Timothy has the same mind that we have. We're in the same vein. We're together. We're able to labor together and we're able to accomplish the mission together because there is a common like-mindedness amongst us. And we'll never be able to accomplish anything for the glory of God. If everybody's got their own agenda 
And everybody wants to do their own thing. Listen, if you are here for anything else other than bringing honor and glory to God, and we do that through worship, and we, we're here to get the gospel out around the world, we're here to worship Him together, we're here to disciple one another and grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you come in here to church, and if you've joined yourself to an assembly so you can make a reputation for yourself or a name for yourself, or so you can have a place where you can maybe... Uh, maybe uh, uh, exercise some authority or, or, or be in charge of something, that's when division comes in, when we all have our own little agenda about what we think the church should be and what we want to use the church to do. When we got to realize this is not our church, we don't even belong to our own selves. We don't set the agenda. We don't set the mission. We don't set the mindset. We get on board with what He has already put in place. That's unity in the church. And so we got to have that if we're going to do anything for the glory and the honor of God. And of course, this was an issue in Philippi. Philippi was a great church, by the way. But just like any church, at any point, there were some people that were divided. In chapter 4, you can flip over to verse number 2. He writes toward the end of this letter. It's just a gentle rebuke, but he said... Because verse number one, he, he said, You're my dearly beloved and long for my joy and my crown. Stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. You see all that in verse number one? You see how he's kind of, I don't want to say he's buttering them up, but he's kind of buttering them up just a little bit. I love you folks so much. And then he slips in just a gentle rebuke in verse number two. He said, I beseech you, Odious, and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. You see that in chapter four, verse number two? He said, I, I, they're, they're, and by the way, those are both feminine names. They don't get mad at me, but there were two women in the church that uh, were fighting together. Man, this might be 2021. I don't know. I mean, it's, wait, is this the Walters Grove Baptist Church? Hold on a second. Oh, no, this is the Church of Philippi. All right. We don't have a Euodius in here, do we? Okay. Or a Syntyche. Two women fighting in the church. Wow. That's something you don't hear every day. I just lied right there. And he said, I've heard there's some division going on. And he said, I beseech. You know what that is? I beg you. I beg you, please. I plead with you. Y'all get on the same page. Be like-minded. Be like-minded in the Lord. Be of the same mind in the Lord. That's not get together on anything else. It means get together when it comes to the thing of the Lord. You got to get together. We're so different, aren't we? I may mention that last week. We're all so different. Everybody has different tastes, different likes, and different things. And uh, is it even possible for us to have any kind of church where there's unity at all? I believe there is. I, I believe, to a lot, honestly, and I know we're joking around a little bit, but to a large extent, man, our church, we enjoy a lot of good unity. And I, I, I praise the Lord for it. I want to give God the glory for it. Uh, I mean, not, it's not perfect, and it's not, you know, all the time. Everybody just, you know, just, uh, you know, just, you know, holding hands, singing kumbaya all the time. But, but I want to thank God for the most part. We enjoy, we enjoy great fellowship. We enjoy great unity, and we ought to get, we ought to just give God glory for that, because it's, it's, uh, it, it may not always. There, we might come through a season of some tough times. Uh, in, in, in the near future. Who knows? I don't know what's around the bend. And so we ought to enjoy it right now and thank God for it and always strive for it. And we ought to protect it and guard it and know that the devil hates it. 
He hates it. He'd love to come in here and he wants to get you turned sideways at somebody else and get you mad. And Man, did you hear what they said about me and, and what they said about my mama? Man, somebody so-and-so looking at me funny and all kind of things. The devil put doubts here. He'll see, you'll see two people over talking and you'll think, and the devil will tell you, hey, they're talking about you and they're saying something about you. And when the truth is, they ain't even thinking about you. They haven't thought about you in six months. And that's probably not good either, but... Uh, and you think somebody don't like you and, 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 and nobody, nobody likes you and everybody hates you and you go pop open a can of worms and start eating and, uh, and just feeling sorry for yourself and getting mad. And, and before you know it, you'll, you'll, have, you'll, have, you'll have a wedge between you and somebody that doesn't even really exist. That thing is not even true. I've had people think that I was mad at them or upset with them when that was, that was, further, you know, that was further from the truth, but I'm glad they... I'm glad they finally let me know or dealt with it or something like that. I've had, they'll put them on all that family. They're mad. They're upset. They're going to leave the church and all that. Man, they wasn't for, that was the furthest thing from the truth. Man, that's the devil. He likes to sow discord, and, uh, and he'll do it. Anything for disunity because the, Satan knows, our enemy knows what we can do when we are together, when we're standing fast, and we're striving together for the faith of the gospel. We're a formidable foe when we're standing fast and united in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you something, if we're going to have unity in our church life, really we've got to realize, everybody, everybody still with me okay? Y'all doing good. I, I wish I'd get a little more excited, but y'all pray for me. But if we're going to do it, I'm going to tell you really what it, what it comes down to is, you, is yourself. You, got, you can only control one person. How many of y'all know that? that was a great day in my life when I figured that out? It really took a lot of frustration out of pastoring. When I, when I first started passion, I was real frustrated because, I, I, you know, I, I, because people weren't doing what I felt like they needed to do. You know? I'm not saying I still don't get frustrated about that, but it's kind of a relief to lay down at night and know, you know what, ultimately at the end of the day, I can't make people do anything. I can't. You're never going to make somebody do what they don't want to do. If, people, if they don't want to be faithful to church, you're not going to make them be faithful to church. If they don't want to give, you're not going to make them give. If they don't want to be faithful, if they don't want to give, if they don't want to be a part, if they don't want to participate, if they don't want to, if they don't want to worship, if they don't, you're not going to make them do anything. You pray for them. You preach to them. Pray that God would change their heart and make them want to. But you can, at the end of the day, I control one person. At Walters Grove Baptist Church, I control one person. I don't even control all my kids all the time. Just about. Amen. I don't even control my wife. I can't make her be in unity with anybody or anything else. I, don't, I control one person at this church, and it is the pastor. Amen. How many of y'all would like to control the pastor? Wouldn't that be awesome? It's not that great, I promise you. Oh, man, it's a great responsibility. But you only control one person. That's it. And if every individual in our church, that's what I tell you, you know, church is made up of individuals. Every one of us, if we would get in tune with God and get where we need to be, then the whole thing would sound good. That's how, that's how they, they, they tune a piano they, they, or an instrument, any kind of instrument. They don't necessarily tune one string and then tune all the other strings to that one string. If you want to get a true tune, you take a, somebody. I've seen an old man come up here before. He has tune, used a tuning fork. Ding, that tuning fork. He'll get that A note right there. It's got A440 is what it is. You want to get that right. And uh, you get that right, and then you can tune it all uh, to that, that one note right there. But modern, uh, to get a, a true tune, a really a, a true tune, modern technology has allowed you to be able to 
have something to gauge every string to. And you get every string and you take the same instrument and you tune every string to that one instrument right there. And by the time you get done, the whole thing is in harmony. The whole thing sounds good. By the way, this piano needs to be tuned, so we're going to work on that for camp meeting, but that's off subject kind of. But uh, you, you got, so here's the thing. It's not everybody get in tune with the pastor. It's if every one of us individually, we're each individual string, if we would all let God tune us up, and then when we all get together, it all works out. And it's all in unity, and it's all accord together. And that's a blessing. That's a blessing when it is. And so really, at the end of the day, you are responsible for you. You're responsible for one person, and that is you. Let me just give you a few thoughts about unity, the unified life, the unity life. There's three truths that I want to show you in this text, and if, if you'll apply them, we can enjoy unity in our church. Number one, living in unity is living, I'm going to call it this, the overflow life. I call it the overflow life. And here's what I mean by that. Listen to this. That, that unity is actually the result of living a life that is overflowing with joy and with praise and with gratitude for all that God has done. Let me tell you something about people that are truly grateful people and people that are thankful people. They are people that get along just fine at church and they get along with other people and at home and at work and everywhere else. When you can have gratefulness and thankfulness thanksgiving in your heart for what God has done for you, it will cause you to live in unity with other people. And I get that out of verse number one. Look at verse number one, if you will. Here's what Paul said. He said, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, okay, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, he goes on and says, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded. But I want you to notice verse number one. He starts out, he starts out this, uh, this thought of unity. He starts it out with the, with the idea of motive. What should incentivize us? What motivates us to live in unity with other believers and live in unity with the church? He starts out with the why. He leads out with why. In fact, I almost preached the whole message around that one thought right there. I was going to preach on that unity starts with uh, starts with a Y, and uh, it starts with a U, but it actually starts with a Y is what it starts with because that's where Paul begins. He begins talking about how... Uh, if we're going to live in unity, there's got to be a because. There's got to be a reason. What is the reason that we ought to live in unity? What's the reason that I ought to comfort you and help you and think about you and forgive you? What is the reason that you ought to comfort me and you ought to think about me and you ought to forgive me and you ought to assist me and you ought to be a blessing to me? What is the reason we ought to reciprocate this kind of action? It is because God... God has done all those things for us. And it is in light of that fact. God always, the Bible always brings us back to what Jesus has done for us. What Jesus has done for us ought to be the motivation for us and go be that for somebody else. Why are we to forgive one another? Because God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Why are we to love one another? Because we are loved. Why should we forgive one another? Because we are forgiven. Why should we help one another? Because we are helped. Why should we uh, uh, aid one another and assist one another and 
pray for one another because we are aided and we are assisted and we are uh, never forsaken and we're never alone and we are prayed for. There's a Savior in heaven that is making intercession for us. Why should we do all these things? It's because it has all been done for us. Amen. He said, "If if there be therefore any consolation of Christ in Christ, you know what consolation is? That's comfort. That's help. That's assistance. The idea of that word is somebody that runs to the aid of somebody else. When somebody needs help, you run to the aid of somebody. You console them. Can I, can I ask you a question? If there's any consolation in Christ, let me ask you a question. Is there any consolation in Christ? When he says if, he's not, he doesn't mean like... Uh, uh, he's not talking about maybe there's a doubt whether it's all happened. It's, a, it's more of a, like a rhetorical statement. Like, uh, <clears throat> like if, I were to say, if I were to say, Heather, you know, uh, if you love me, then, or if I'm your husband, then I should do... Well, it, these things are true. She does love me. I am her husband. But we would use the word if and speaking of in maybe a rhetorical manner. It doesn't mean that maybe there's a possibility it has not happened. Is there any consolation in Christ? Does anybody in here know what it's like to need help, to need assistance, to need partnership? And here comes the Lord Jesus Christ and He runs along beside you and He puts His arms around. Does anybody know what it's like to have Jesus wrap His arms around you and you were down and you were in trouble? and you didn't have anything going on. Does anybody know what that's like? Okay, well then check that one off. If there, is there any comfort of love? Does anybody know the comforting love of God? To know that security? To know that God loves you? What a blessing that is. Does anybody know about the fellowship of the Spirit? Does anybody know what it's like to have the Spirit of God commune with you and fellowship with you. Aren't you glad? Listen, when you're down, the Spirit encourages you. When you're lost, He points the way. Listen, when you're wrong, He convicts you. Does anybody know what these things are like? He said, if these things are true in your life, if there's any bowels and mercies, does anybody here got any bowels? No, I'm just kidding. That's not... It's not exactly what it means, but it's kind of what it means. It's just we don't use that word bowels like they used it back in the day. We would say our heart. We would say the inside of me that has the capacity to love and to feel affection. That's what bowels are. And saying that we are loved and mercies. Has there been any affection shown to you by God? Has there been any mercy shown to you by God? Does anybody know what it's like to be forgiven? Does anybody know what it is to know that you ought to be in hell, but you look around and you're not? (laughs) Because God is a merciful God. Does anybody know what it's like to go to the throne room of grace and say, Father, I've messed up again. I've sinned again. And here comes the mercy of God. Does anybody know what it's, like, what it's like to wake up in the morning only to find there's a brand new fresh set of mercy that's waiting on you? Whew. Praise God. Man, that's good. Not the preaching, but just that verse. The thought. Man, that's so good. Thank God for it. So here's the point of that text. 
If you have received those things, if we have received all those things that's listed in that verse, and we have, there's no if about it, it, it we have received all those things, then how can we not extend that to each other? How can we not give that to somebody else? You know the best reason we have to stick around with each other and quit fighting against each other, quit crossing people off your list, quit getting offended all the time, say, well, I'm done with that crowd. You know what the best reason is to not do that? It's because God's never done that to you. He sticks around you. And I'll give you another reason. Look at verse number 2. Throw this on there. I'm just going to hit this at the end because it's not even that great of a reason, but it's in the text. He said, fulfill ye my joy. Here's another reason because it makes the preacher happy. Amen. Paul said, if you've known those things, he said, make me happy. Complete my joy. I tell you, it does make the preacher happy when the church is in unity. Amen. There's a difference between Paul writing to Philippi and Paul writing to Corinth. You can read that in those letters. Corinth done stressed them out. He wrote that first letter with tears. That's what he said in 2 Corinthians. He said, I wrote that first letter to you in tears. This one he's writing in joy. Even though there's a little squabble in the church, this church was, was in a greater unity. People that are overflowing with the awareness of these truths, that God has done all these things for them, they usually don't have any trouble getting along one with another. Because when you know that you're living in grace... It's easy to extend grace. It's really inconsistent and doesn't even make sense for you to get mad at other people and hold grudges at other people and not forgive other people, be able to get along with other people when the Holy Ghost has been working for years to get along with you. Amen. And all God's people said amen and amen right there. So you know what unity is? It's the overflow. It's when you are so full of gratitude and thanksgiving and praise to God for all that He has done, you just can't help it. It's just an overflow of all those things. Number two, not only is it the overflow life, but I'm going to call it this. Number two, it's, unity is living in, the, uh, it's living in the other's life. And I'll hit this real quick, but verse 3 and 4 in our, in our text, he says... Uh, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. The, 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 the quality, the virtue of humility. And by the way, let me say something about humility. It's not thinking less of yourself. Okay? Some people think that humility is just going, thinking all the time, well, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, I, I'm not anything special. That's not humility because who are you thinking about the whole time you're saying that? You're still thinking about yourself. Whether you're thinking about yourself and saying, I'm the greatest, or whether you're thinking about yourself and saying, I'm the worst, you're still thinking about yourself either way. That's why most of our pity parties, they're really just pride parties. Amen. Most of our down in the dumps, it's really just a bunch of pride. It's because we're just consumed with everything about us. Why do I deserve this? What have I done? It's so bad for me. It's so everything. I tell you, the best way I to get, get out of, a, out of, a, out of a, a slump, the best way I to get, get out of the dumps is just find somebody else to be a blessing to. Forget all about yourself and be a blessing to somebody else. Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. Humility, honestly, you know what it is? It's self-forgetfulness. It's not even thinking about yourself at all. And he, and he said that there's, 
that you in the church, you can even do the right things. Do good things. We're not talking about doing sinful things. You can do good things like sing in the choir. That's a good thing. Like take up the offering. That's a good thing. Like, you know, be faithful to church. That's a good thing. Teach a Sunday school class. That's a good thing. You know, vacuum the carpets. That's a good thing. Help in the nursery. That's a good thing. All kinds of things. You can, do the, you can be doing good things, but you can be doing it in the wrong way. And now we said verse 3, let nothing be done. How? Through strife or vain glory. I mean, you can be doing the right thing, but you can be doing it in the wrong manner. Strife. You know what that word means? It means uh, division, contentiousness, factiousness. Uh, the, the word literally has the idea of running for office. Electioneering is what the word literally means. Uh, if you know anything about politicians, when they're running for an office, they uh, step on whoever they got to step on. They promote themselves. They destroy everybody else that might be a threat to them getting the position that they want. Isn't that right? Uh, it seems like every four years, politics and, and, and election, they just get worse and worse and worse and worse as far as, you know, uh, 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 people running people down and talking about one another and lifting themselves up. You've got to elevate yourself. You know what Paul said? He said, there's no place for that in church. There's no place for that. Well, I think I should have got this position. It don't matter. Well, I think I should be recognized for this. There ain't no place for that electioneering stuff. Leave that. That's what the world, that's what the Gentiles, that's what the politicians do. That's what the, when I say Gentiles, I mean in the way that Jesus used that word. The Gentiles, they exercise lordship over one another. We don't do that. We, 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 uh, we don't push people down. We serve one another. We love one another. We humble ourselves. We don't do it for vain glory, empty glory, empty to be seen, to be recognized, to receive glory of men. Let me tell you something. Listen up here real close. If that's the reason you do why, well, you do what you do, you're going to be a problem in this church. Everybody okay? If the reason you do what you do is to be seen of men or to get some position or be recognized, you're going to be nothing but a problem in this church or in any true church, in any good church. Amen. If you're trying to jockey for position and, and recognition and you want, you, want, you want this authority, you want this power, you want this or something like that, listen, you will cause trouble in the church. What do we do? Instead of that, we put others first. You think about others. Instead of putting yourself out there, why don't you elevate somebody else? Why don't you promote somebody else? Why don't you push forward somebody else? Isn't that what he says? Verse number three, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Maybe instead of thinking in your mind, and this is more than what you say out of your lips, because we can say it, oh, we got the words down. We'll, we know how to talk humble. But on the inside, we're thinking, man, I could do that better than they could. Man, I could, I could do a better job. Man, they, but what about if we got truly humble and really on the inside we thought, man, they're so much better than me. That's, they're, man, they're doing a better job than what I could ever do. Man, I'm thankful for them. I'm going to pray for them. What if you really esteemed, you counted, you counted it up, you reckoned it up, and you thought, man, they, they just, they're just doing a really good job. That's lowliness of mind.
Not false humility, but real humility on the inside. Everybody can say the right words on the outside. We've been, been in church long enough. We know all the churchy words, right? All the things to say. What on the inside? What do we really think? Is everybody okay? What if instead of jockeying for position, we put others first? Look at verse number 4. It said, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. What if we didn't care so much about our own things? Everybody's interested in their own things. This is my life. It's my schedule. It's my money. It's my time. What if we cared more about the things of others? What if we made sure everybody else was taken care of first? You see, what I found, it's hard to fight with somebody when you're preferring them before you. It's hard to fight with somebody when you're actually concerned about their welfare. It's hard to fight with somebody when you think, man, man, they're, 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 far, they're further ahead than I'll ever be. And it's not jealousy or animosity or envy. It's gratefulness. You can't fight like that then. Man, if we had a church full of people that put other people first and it was always thinking, never thought about themselves, was always thinking about other people. Man, we'd have to take Baptists off the sign, wouldn't we? No, I'm just kidding. But man, if we if we had a church full of people that was always thinking about others, man, weren't thinking about our own things, our own self. Hmm. Say so what would happen? I don't know, but something to think about, ain't it? There's an old poem. I'm sure you've heard it. I think I've read it before. A man by the name of Charles Miggs wrote it at the end of the 1800s. Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Help me in all the work I do to ever be sincere and true and know that all I do for you must needs be done for others. And when my work on earth is done and my new work in heaven's begun, may I forget the crown I've won while thinking still of others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I may live like thee. Others. Ms. Matt, you can come around the piano. I do got a third point, but it's kind of a conclusion, so I'm done. There's the overflow life. There's the others life, always thinking about others. Talking about living in unity. If you're living in that overflow, being grateful for what you have. That'll cause us to have unity in the church. Others, think, always thinking about others, putting others before yourself. That'll cause, that'll cause uh, uh, unity in the church. And then I'm going to call it this, number three, the obedient life. The obedient life. And that'll cause unity in the church. What is the obedient life? Well, unity is the result of being submitted to Christ. You see... Uh, unity is what happens when you're truly following the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we see that in this text. Paul immediately in verse number 5 goes right into saying, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he tells us how humble he was and he tells us how obedient he was. Jesus was submitted to the will of his Father insomuch that he became obedient unto death. 
even the death of the cross. And that is the mind. What is this mind? Like-minded, same mind, one mind, all the stuff he's talking about. What is this mind that we are supposed to have? It's the mind of Christ that loves the will of God and loves to be obedient and submitted and surrendered to the will of the Father. I'm going to tell you what, the best thing you could do for your life is for you to lose your mind. You need to lose your mind. Your mind's what gets you in trouble. This carnal mind we got. It's enmity against God, the Bible said. You know what the best thing for you to do is? Lose your mind and get his. Let that mind be in you. The same mind, the same mindset, the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Obedience. And I tell you what, if we're obedient to the Father... And we want to please Him in all things. Unity will just be a result of all that. What is it? That, that, that Christ mind, that's when, what does, that, what does that look like? That's when Christ is living through us. But see, because in reality, listen to this, and I'm almost done. In reality, unity shouldn't be our pursuit. That's not, that's not the main goal. That's not the end goal. Because listen, there's a lot of groups of people, they're not a church, but they're in unity. Um, I watched a football team in unity last night uh, demolish the Georgia Bulldogs who were not in unity last night. And, uh, and I'm still a little upset over that, but that's okay. There's grace. Amen. God gives you grace to go on. Football teams in unity. There's sports teams in unity. There's clubs in unity. There's... All kind of things in unity. You can do things. In fact, God had to come down and destroy a whole tower of Babel and confound languages. Why? Because the people, they got together in unity in, in an anti-God project. See, unity is not, when unity is the goal, a lot of times you'll, you'll sacrifice truth because truth divides. So we don't want unity without truth. But we don't want truth without unity either. We want to be unified around the truth. And so, unity is not the goal. What is the goal? The goal is Christ-likeness. The goal is to be like Jesus. The goal is to be submitted to Christ. And then you know what will happen as we're like Jesus, as we're submitted to Christ? You know what happens? Unity is the outcome. It will all overflow out of that. Unity is a result of operating with His mind, not with your mind. So we need to lose our mind, don't we? Your mind thinks about what's best for you, don't it? Your mind always contriving things of what it wants to do. Your mind, when I say yours, I hope you know I'm talking about mine too. (laughs) Our mind, it always has its own goals and dreams and plans. Our mind, our mind can, I tell you what our mind is so good at, our mind is good at rationalizing sin. Our mind is good at rationalizing grudges. Our mind is good at rationalizing bitterness and unforgiveness. Our mind is good at come up. It's pretty much anything your flesh wants to do, your mind can come up with a way to make it happen. Amen. The carnal mind, it's enmity against God. It's enemy of God. Your mind is the problem. Lose yours.
get his. You know what happened? What would happen if we had a church full of people that had the mind of Christ? Unity would be inevitable, right? It would be, be a byproduct. It would just happen. Be all around us. I promise when there's two people fighting against each other and quarreling and fussing, you mark it down. Listen to me. You mark it down. Somebody don't have the mind of Christ. There's some people that are operating in their own mind. Amen. Amen. Division amongst the brethren. It's wicked. It's ungodly. In fact, God said of the things he hates. You know, if we didn't have that list in the Bible, and someone said, write down things that God hates, I wonder what we'd write down. Probably not the things that God wrote down. One of the things he hates, he said, he don't like people that sow discord among the brethren. Psalm 133, how good and how pleasant is it. I think that's one of the first messages I ever preached to this church. Psalm 133, might, might have been the first message I preached here, maybe, I don't know. Psalm 133, how good and how pleasant is it, brethren, to dwell together <coughs> Excuse me, in unity. It's like that oil that ran down Aaron's beard. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon. Oh, it's a refreshing thing. It's an empowering thing. It's a precious thing. It's a pleasant thing. The opposite is true when there's division. So my question is, how's your gratefulness? How's your thankfulness? Are you, are you giving out to other people and treating other people in the way that you've been treated by God? Are you thinking about others? Or are you all wrapped up in yourself all the time? It's all about you. How does it affect you? How does it feel to you? How does it look to you? And then do you have the mind of Christ? These things is what brings unity in our, in our church. Let's stand together all.